Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I've got a very fantastic guest for you today, um, Andrea Johnson, and she is a transformational leadership coach, and she's the founder and CEO of The Intentional Optimist. And what's really interesting is that she's got a background in healthcare, so she can speak the language of healthcare to doctors, professionals, executives. And today's talk is going to be all about intentional optimism, core values, leadership, everything that we need to succeed in today's uncertain healthcare environment. And I'm happy to have her on the show. So Andrea, welcome. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here. And as we were discussing earlier, it feels a little bit like home talking to doctors (laughs) and dentists. Yeah, I love it when guests can speak the doctor language and kind of get to the audience. It helps um, connect with the audience and makes for a much more impactful episode. So um, kind of share your background. I know you shared some earlier on. You're at Hopkins and, you know, did uh, grant reviews. Um, So talk about that and how it led to what you're doing now. Sure. I spent 23 years in the schools of medicine, if you if you want to call it that. Um, <laughs> when I talk to people outside the medical institutions and, and community, I have to explain everything. But I spent 11 and a half years at Johns Hopkins in the oncology center. And I spent 11 and a half years at the University of Virginia in this, not entirely in the school of medicine. Some of it was in the main office for research administration. But I spent my time there on the university side, working with physicians and researchers, making sure that they had everything they needed. So I had to learn all about head and neck cancer when I was at Hopkins, and I had to learn what it takes for a doctor to be able to survive in both the research and clinical side of that institution. And then when I moved to the University of Virginia, I went, I dove into research administration and realized I couldn't push papers all day. I needed the interaction with the individuals. And so one of the things that I just loved about doing that work was that I got to help people figure out what made their their mission better. And so when you can sit down with a new faculty member or a new MD PhD and say, look, your your grant will go through. Let's just make sure that we get all the administrative stuff right and let's make sure we have the right people in your lab and then when you work with PhD students and help them graduate and go on to be you know, I can see them at different organizations as faculty members, or I can see them now as big developers in the pharmaceutical industry. That it is very rewarding to see that. Um, but I figured out that I don't want to manage and I don't want to administrate. I want to help people learn to lead because we need leaders in every area of life. And so that's what I stepped out to do. But my background is most definitely in this area. Yeah. So. So beautifully said. And, um, you know, uh, you know, when I was 
in grad school and also um you know we talk about you know how supportive you know the environment is so that you can achieve your goals and um so i love you know when it was we could talk to staff and you know get grants through and um all that so one thing i have question is this big idea of intentional optimism and you know we've all heard of in optimism but um what is it and how can one develop in your own life so i call intentional optimism how i do what i do and are you familiar with the enneagram at all yes Chris? okay the enneagram so yeah. i am in I am an Enneagram six, wing seven, counterphobic. I mean, I have all of it, right? And what I didn't realize is that I developed six tenets of intentional optimism to kind of help me navigate life. And it's it works for everybody, but my part of my story is that I lost my mother to breast cancer seven years ago next week. And um, being at Johns Hopkins in the Oncology Center meant that I had access to things that I wouldn't have had access to before, but it doesn't. It doesn't make it easy when you watch someone go like that. But my mother was one of those people that was like a bottle of champagne. She would just, you know, she'd walk in a room and it was like on cheers. People would say, Norm, they'd say Judy, you know. But as I watched her go, I watched her leave with a lot of strength. I watched her leave with hope. I watched her leave without leaving anything unsaid, right? And I realized I wasn't necessarily living that way. And so I said, I... I need to figure out why. And so I started writing down, you know, if you've if you've ever been through a period of grief, you know, and if you deal with patients, you're dealing with grief all the time. And I mean, I don't know how y'all can go to those mortality and morbidity conferences, but that was always off my plate. I was like, I'm not going to those. Um, but being able to sit down during that period of intense grief when we lost her and say, what's important to me? What did I, what do I want? to live and represent. And so I came up with six tenets after brain dumping everything down and pulling it into a spreadsheet and, you know, getting all data oriented, you know, just like, what does the data say? Well, it said that I wanted to be optimistic, but I didn't want, I didn't want to be blind, right? I, I, I'm a realist. I can't help but see those things. Anybody in the medical profession understands that. So that's the first tenet is I, I choose to be optimistic, even when sometimes it's hard. The second one is being present and, it is so easy in really hard situations to detach yourself, right? I mean, how many physicians get in trouble for detaching themselves with a patient when they really need to be, have really good bedside manner? But um, so that's the second is present. And then the third is energetic. Where does my energy go? I want to make sure that I bring enough energy to every situation that I can be present and optimistic. And then the, the fourth is courageous. Um, we face things every day that are really hard. And, you know, this is the more I talk about it with you as a physician, it's like, this is really good for physicians. I never thought about it. But it's just being willing to say, I'm going to challenge today undaunted. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to be resilient. This is where the resilience piece comes in. The um, fifth one is wise. Anybody who's been through hard stuff has gained wisdom. Anybody who has been around the sun as many times as I have, at this age, you gain wisdom. And when we are willing to share that, then we become agents of change in ways that are much quieter and much more uh, longevity producing, I guess, sustainable is a word I would like to use. And then the final one to bookend it all is intentionality. And if you're not, if you don't have a plan, you may not get anywhere. And, you know, for anybody who's had several degrees. And if you're if you're a physician, you've been through residency, you've been through medical school, you've been through college. So you know what that's like, and you know what it's like to have an intentional plan. Um, none of this should be 
ironclad. It should be like scaffolding. I was raised in Seoul, Korea. My parents were missionaries and their scaffolding there for high rises. I don't know if it still is, but back when I was there in the 70s and 80s was bamboo. And it would scare us to death, you know, because we're used to seeing my grandfather was a steel worker. But to see that scaffolding go up and think, oh, my goodness, that could just fall at any moment. But what it does is it gives you the scaffolding that allows you to climb and allows you to, to build, but it gives you a little bit of flexibility. And so I think that's what I would suggest the tenets of intentional optimism are, is a scaffolding with flexibility to help you live the way you want to live, to show up in your strengths, to show up in your core values as um, somebody who can make a difference. I've really had um, a lot of like the previous guests, they're so eloquent. The guests today are uh, speaking so beautifully and eloquently. And um, so the next question I have is this um, idea of, um, so when you talk about, you talked about six um, core tenants and how to develop it. So ne the next question is kind of, um, you talk about this idea of um, critical thinking, which is mm -hmm. your most effective personal growth skill, but on top of that, you have three levels of awareness, A, Bs, and Cs, and kind of mm -hmm. talk about that as it relates to critical thinking. Yeah. Um, growing up in Western society, we are, especially now, my son is a freshman in high school. So there's very much this teach to the test and uh -huh. figuring out, you know, it's like, just answer the question. It's like, well, <laughs> yes, but, <laughs> and being willing to teach ourselves because we may not have been taught how to question everything. I like to say I have terminal curiosity. And it's one of those things that it, it may have killed the cat, but they had nine lives to start with. So uh -huh. um, I'm okay with that. But being willing to say, why do I accept something that comes? We, we receive messages from all angles and all the time. I, I don't know the actual number of messages that our brains receive each day. But if we don't take those and filter them in some way, then we have a default way of filtering them, which is what I call our ABCs, our assumptions, our beliefs and conditioning. But if we don't actually say, well, what am I doing with that filter? Why is that filter there? Then we're always living on someone else's principles, someone else's priorities, someone else's idea of what's important today, or what I should be concerned about. And as leaders, we can't do that. If you want to run a business, I mean, to be a doctor, that's one thing. There's certain, I get the regulations. I'm I'm all, I get it. But if you want to transition into taking that out to a, a business that you can run for your own and that you can actually make an impact, you've got to be willing to say, like that iceberg model, what are the things that are above the surface that I see that I haven't been paying attention to? And those are my assumptions. You know, I walk into a room and I just assume people are going to like me, or I assume people are not going to like me, or I assume everyone can speak at my level. Um, learning how to do clinical trial documents, I had to drop everything to an eighth grade reading level. And I hadn't been at an eighth grade reading level since I was in fourth grade, you know. So those are assumptions that we have. But then below the surface of the water is where our beliefs start coming in. And understanding that our beliefs are formed by our our demographics, our upbringing, our school, our news we listen to, all of it. And then below that is this conditioning that we're really not aware of. That's the big piece of the iceberg that 
you know, we talk about white people swimming in white water and not realizing that we're a fish and um, being able to say, oh, hang on, just because something's easy for me doesn't mean it's easy for the next person. And so as I start to move forward, I have to make accommodations for how I speak in certain areas to make sure that I'm inclusive with everyone. My son has ADHD, so I have to think differently when I explain something to him. I am conditioned to say, go look it up. <laughs> That's what I was told. But it's a little bit more of a challenge for him. And so when we start challenging our own beliefs, because beliefs, Chris, are changeable, all of them, 100% of them, the only thing that's really not changeable in you is your core values. Those are the things that you're wired with. Those are the things that matter the most. They drive you. They motivate you. So if you take a look at your beliefs and say, well, I believe everyone should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, or I believe that I should be able to start a business and have no trouble like so-and-so did, what does that mean? What does it mean from your religious background? So all of these things come into play when you start looking at, okay, I am going to be a leader in my space. I am going to make a difference. And if you're not willing to look at them, you're going to be hamstrung, as I like to say. Yeah, I love that and how you described um, just kind of your levels of awareness and kind of consciously, once you develop this idea of awareness, then you can start to consciously, intentionally, you know, formulate a plan for you to, um, yeah. you know, succeed. And what we're basically getting down to is um, coping and emotional resiliency. Mm. And so what I like to transition and one thing is talking about is that, um, you know, you talk about trials and tribulations um, and how that has uh, you facing significant challenges and um, how these experiences contributed to your contribute to your emotional resilience, as well as, you know, kind of um, emotional resilience uh, techniques. Sure. Um, you know, the first thing that we that I want to say to everybody is that we don't know what we know until we know it. And that's true in any diagnosis. That's true in any research endeavor. And being in a research environment helped me understand that a negative answer is is still an answer, right? It's still, that's still an answer to a research hypothesis. And even though it's a hard thing, we learn from it. So when, when I talk about going through trials and tribulations, one of my already mentioned was, I mean, we all have hard things, right? It's like, I'm not special. But my mother dying of cancer after 15 years of that and three years of lupus before. So all of those things together. Growing up overseas sounds like a cakewalk, but it's not for a seven-year-old kid who is like tossed into a whole new environment. We see that happening with other kids um, coming to the United States in a whole new environment. We see it with kids who um, who have different neurodiversity than, than the norm. But for me, it was things like that. It was things like, and, and being in Korea, during the time when the the DMZ was always being challenged. And my dad was usually down country somewhere. So it's like me and my mom and my sister. Those things create in you this like anxiety. And just not really kind of having that settled feeling just kind of put that into my system. And I just started living in more of an anxious world. I ended up developing bulimia as early as probably, I say probably as early as 10. Um, and so I I took that on as a way to, as a coping mechanism, which is not a healthy co coping mechanism. Um, but then ended up putting myself in the hospital for bulimia and depression when I was 20. And that was the first time somebody looked at me and said, 
it's okay to say you can't handle life on life's terms. It's okay to take a minute for yourself and do some mindfulness practices. I'd never even heard of that. And so I learned things like staving off a panic attack with the five senses. You know, it's like, I see five things, I taste two things, I, you know, working your way down. So different coping mechanisms and tactics. But I went through early menopause um, I at 39. And so we ended up adopting my son at 42 which is why he's just a freshman in high school. <laughs> um, so we're late parents then to discover he's ADHD. Um, my grandfather committed suicide. I mean, I mean, it's just, he just had kidney failure and he just couldn't take it. And um, just one thing after another, my, my husband is a pastor and we were 18 months into his first pastorate in Baltimore. And I was sat down by a couple of deacons and said, we're going to ask that he gets fired and it's because of you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so when you go through hard things, if you're willing to see them as things that you can learn from, that's how you develop resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from any given circumstance. And it may take you years to bounce back from the first hard thing or from any one hard thing. You might bounce back from one thing easier than another. I just did a conference here I'm a Maxwell certified leadership trainer and coach. And every year he does a live to lead conference. And Ryan Leake was one of our speakers this year. And one of the things he talked about in chasing failure was it's easier to bounce back from a $15. Oops, I forgot to turn off that prescription. Then it, I mean, that subscription, than it is from a $15,000. Oops, I shouldn't invest in that. But we learn from all of them. And as, if we develop a learner attitude, a, an attitude of I am always a beginner and I am always learning, then that gives us a leg up and a slight mechanism to cope with some of the difficult things that happen. Um, and I think when it comes to business, putting systems in place, putting people around you that are going to encourage you, getting the right kind of training you need. Um, when you are a doctor, you have to go through all kinds of medical training. And if you're transitioning into business, I I have met two doctors in my life in 23 years of working with doctors who had good business sense, and both of them also had MBAs. <laughs> so be willing to get yourself some training because you're not trained for that. And um, be willing to say, I need some help. So it may be that you need a leadership coach. It may be that you need um, some, some business courses or something like that. But when you start looking at these quote, setbacks or hard things as learning opportunities, that's where your resilience starts to come from. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Very powerful. And kind of as we kind of come to the end of this talk, which I really enjoyed is talking about DISC and, um, you know, you know, we've all had our um, 
set of trials and tribulation. I've had mine, you know, one thing I've learned is it's how we perceive things and how we take that as um, either gifts or lessons and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of progress, even though, you know, it could be very tragic. One thing is talking about, especially in healthcare organization is talk about this disk analysis. And Mm -hmm. so kind of talk about that, you know, briefly and kind of end on how people can find out more about you. Sure. So as a Maxwell leadership trainer and coach, I'm also a DISC consultant and DISC is a behavior analysis tool. It is a communication and leadership tool. So when we talk about being in healthcare or being in business, we've got to learn to communicate. It is very common now to have transcribers or translators in the room with you as a physician or, uh, but you don't get that when you go into business for yourself. So one of the things that's really powerful is to understand the patterns that you see in other people's communication styles. When we we talk about DISC, it is a report that you can get from a lot of different places. You can do a free one online, but the report that you get as, you know, it's like when you get data, right? You can get raw data or you can get interpreted data or you can get data that's interpreted in specific ways. And the Maxwell report is actually a leadership and communications report. It's 30 pages long and it gives you all kinds of data that you can then use on on an immediate basis and put into play for personal growth and for leadership and for sales or marketing or anything like that. Um, but one of the pieces to understand is that if I start speaking Korean to you, I don't know that you would understand mm-hmm. me. And I can do a little bit of it, but um, it may be that if I, but if I speak English, we're both on the same page. So if I know what language I need to speak in for someone who is, so the DISC actually stands for, it's a quadrant. And it stands for D is for drivers or dominance. These are about 3% of the population. They're your get or done people, results oriented. These are your bullet point people. It's not uncommon to have surgeons be Ds, right? It's just like, or, <laughs> or ER people, right? It's boom, 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 yeah. right? But it's all about the results. The I stands for influencer. These are your funny people, your talkative people, they're storytellers. If you know anybody who's a storyteller and relates to people really well, they're probably a high I. That's me. Um, and then they're about 13 per, or 11%. Then the next one around the around the clock is the S's, which is the steadies. These are 69% of the population. They are the backbone of your organizations, no matter where you are. And these are the ones that on the change curve, they're like on the going down. They don't want to change anything. Steady literally means that if it ain't broke, why are you fixing it? You know, Um, but understanding that once these people do change, they are going to be loyal to you. They are the one. So whatever I needed to do any change, I would look at my team or because I had at one point over 20 people that I was supervising from clinical trial people to grant people to administrative assistance. And if I needed to do some change, I'd be like, I know I need to talk to this person and this person and get them on board and let them see the benefits of it and then let them do the actual talking. Because me as a hype person, I can only yeah. cheerlead for so long. I get hoarse. And so when you when you understand that most of the people are like that, then you can actually communicate that way. And the final one, the C, is your creatives or your compliance. These are the detail people. These are your... Um, like my husband is one of these uh, either musical people or your accountants, your financial people, but it can also be like, I have an oncologist that I have worked with who is a straight C. Usually we have all of them and we do to a certain extent, but for she represented so high on the C scale, but for her, every single piece of every single patient was detailed out. She wanted to know all of it. So when you know who you're speaking to, 
you know that there if a C is not asking you questions because they don't trust you, they want the right answer. And I wants to tell you a story. And if you cut them off, you've offended them. And a D just really wants to get out the door. Can we take this? Can we just can we be done with this? Can we make a decision? <laughs> to move? But if you know those things, it really helps you. So what I do is I offer both um, just the straight assessment or I offer um, individual one on one coaching with that. Like I can do a, a that debrief, a 90 to 90 minute to a two hour debrief to kind of walk through yours personally. I can add coaching on the end of that. Um, but I also do that in organizations. And it's really fun to put an entire team in the room and say, all right, y'all, let's let's see. These people are this and these people are this. It just it makes the light bulbs go on. So I have a couple yeah. of things that would help out your listeners. Um, I do have one link that is just a free, what I call a disc cheat sheet. And so it's theintentionaloptimist.com is my website. You can find everything there. Links, it's going to get me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I have a podcast, Stand Tall and Own It. But if you go to theintent forward slash cheat, C-H-E-A-T, you will get that ultimate cheat sheet. And what it'll give you is a, a crosswalk. If you see person ask. A, acting like this, they might be a D, and this is how you talk to them, et cetera. It also gives you how to talk to kids. Because if you have children and you're like, I don't know what to do with this kid, it may be that you're speaking different languages. Um, so I have that as, as something um, that is easily accessible. But the other thing is I created a special download and a special link for your listeners. Specifically, it's at theintentionaloptimist.com forward slash financial freedom. And um, because that's just the name of the the podcast, and it's literally a one-page download for getting started on their core values. So if they want to know, if you want to know what makes you tick and how you can actually play to your own strengths, that's going to do it for you. And there's plenty of information in there that will uh, put you in touch with me if you need more help. Up there, let's thank Andrea for coming on. I really enjoyed talking with Andrea and um, hopefully, you know, what she said resonated with the audience. Be sure to check out her socials, give her a like and follow. And with, with that, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. It's my pleasure.